0: Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm your host, Lori Lee. And every person that I interview on this show has a story. They share those stories with us, the wins, the losses, the heartbreak, and the learning. And man, there are some great, beautiful, inspirational stories on this podcast. But one of the things that I've noticed as I've spoken with people in general about their stories is that they often say, I don't have a story. I just have a regular old life. There's nothing to hear here. Well, my guest today is Amanda Edgar. After a life in academia, she decided to leave the university and she founded Page and Podium Press. This is a publishing company and she specifically helps people share their stories and create world-changing books. So stay tuned as I talk with Amanda about finding and sharing our stories. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Amanda Edgar is an award-winning author, a ghostwriter, a book coach, and as I mentioned, the founder of Page and and Press. She is the co-author of the forthcoming book called Summer of 2020, George Floyd and the Resurgence of the Black Lives Matter Movement. She has been invited to speak at organizations such as FedEx and the U.S. Department of State, where she shares philosophies on issues of identity And socially conscious storytelling. And I think it's obvious why she's on the show today because we're talking about story and she is expert in helping people figure out how to tell their stories. And I know many of you may be thinking about life histories or memoirs, or you've got a big story you want to share. So let's see what she has to tell us today. Amanda, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast.
1: Lori, thank you so much for having me on. As you said, I cannot even imagine a better fit for a podcast for (laughs) me to appear on. So I'm so happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Glad to have you. So let's start out like we always do with your story, The Juicy Bits. How did you come to be a story expert?
1: Well, I have always loved stories and growing up, I spent a lot of time on my grandparents' farm and it's Pretty boring. (laughs) If you have spent much time in the rural Midwest, there's not a ton of stuff to do. Once we had brought in all the eggs from the chicken coop, the grandkids were just kind of on our own.
0: You kind of have to make up your own fun, right?
1: Well, that's exactly right. And that is what we did. So my grandmother would bring home these books of samples of wallpaper. And if you've ever seen them, it's, you know, one side is the wallpaper back then it was, you know, paste as opposed to the self-stick. So you could use the whole back to write in. And I just loved that then it was a bound book. So we would, we would put our stories in, we would draw illustrations and you would have a, what looked to us like a published book at the end. So I have always loved that kind of thing and always found it to be so important. Not just to tell our, our stories, but to also dream about what our stories could be. Mm. So, yeah, I really started doing that from the time that I was really young.
0: Isn't and- it interesting, the things that we're drawn toward? I can really relate to what you just shared because when I'm in the mall and I see a paper store, I am totally drawn to it. Like I want to go feel the paper. I want to touch the paper. And besides being a writer, right, you collect all these beautiful notebooks because I'm going to write in them. And besides that, I use paper or have been drawn to grabbing paper that is fabulous, right? Like some people like the fabric, but I like the paper and I make cards, you know, handmade cards out of this paper because I love paper. Like, why are we drawn to these things we're drawn to? So I totally get what you're talking about.
1: Oh, yeah, I love it. Well, I will say too, with all of our clients, we send a welcome gift, which this is a spoiler. We try, you know, try to keep it under wraps. but don't <laughs> tell anybody. <laughs> but we send we always send journals because I am with you. I love them so much. We have a brand we work with called Jumping Fox. I cannot speak highly enough of them, a woman-owned business in California, but their paper is just like, butter mm. so you can even use markers on it it doesn't bleed through so I'm totally with you I that's love that great. handwriting and all that oh
0: Amazing. that's wonderful so what were you doing in academia what was your area of expertise
1: so I studied communication rhetoric and media studies but it's the simplest to think of of what I was doing as a social movement historian So I did a lot of work with Black Lives Matter as that was emerging right as I was finishing up with graduate school. And my first book that I wrote with my co-author, Andre E. Johnson, was looking at Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter right as that conflict and tension was emerging in the culture. So we were speaking Mm -hmm. with people on either side of that divide and trying to figure out what they were thinking about, what was making them tick and why people were so invested how they explained their personal relationship and the stories that brought them to those particular sides
0: this is rich i love you we have a lot in common (laughs)
1: we'll have to talk about a lot more things (laughs) that's right that's right follow up
0: (laughs) okay so if someone wants to write their memoir why should they And how do they start? I took a memoir class up at the University of Utah at the beginning of 2023, actually mid, it was like in May. And it was because my mom had asked me to write my dad's life history. And I thought of all the writing types I'm familiar with and know how to do, I definitely could use some input on memoir. And it was interesting. It was really, really interesting, the angles and the approaches. So tell us, why should we write our stories? Why should we track? Our life stories, our memoirs. And then, if we want to, how do we start that?
1: Yeah. I find that most people have two things that prompt them to work on their story. One, whatever it is they want to do for themselves. So, that might be, you know, in this case, recording your dad's story for the generations, right? So that that mm-hmm. is accessible. And a lot of stuff, when we lose people, we lose all of that information and oh, all that I wisdom yeah. and yes. and those individual stories and I I have more to say on that. That's so interesting because we have definitely written, you know, family memoir. In fact, we wrote the memoir for an older man. I think he was maybe 95 when we were finishing. And unfortunately, we finished the manuscript, and he passed right after. So his family, uh, you know, supported so us and gave us the information, yeah. but yeah, so that we were able to get the book out. And at his funeral, you know, everybody just said, Oh my gosh, I want a copy of that book. And the family read it. And I can't tell you how many reached out to say, I did not know that story. Or, you know, mm-hmm. I remembered it differently. It was so interesting to read it from my dad's perspective. So
0: I bet they were so grateful to have that.
1: Uh, yes, uh, th- that is what they shared with us. And we were really grateful to be part of it, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, what was interesting when I, as I've been researching my dad's story is that the stuff he is telling me is so different. Like the stuff you could do in the fifties and the sixties are not things you can do now. Like my grandma had 12 kids and you know, it's hard to chaperone them, but you didn't need to like have your finger on all all the kids all of the time, they could ride their big wheel down the main street. And, it, you know, it was just, it was a time when you weren't worried about your kids being kidnapped and, you know, just yeah. completely different things. They would chase the hobos and shoot them with BB guns. And I, you know, things <laughs> oh, that no. if you did now, you, you know, I mean, really socially <laughs> inappropriate. <Yeah. sighs> um, but as I'm listening to his stories, it encapsulates and captures a completely different time that without those stories, you wouldn't know because we only know our own time. And what's appropriate within any given decade can shift so much, right? Even like the stuff you're studying with George Floyd and all of that, what was appropriate in the 60s compared to the 70s, you know, just totally different stories. And without capturing those stories in those times, they will absolutely be lost. So I, yeah, yeah, big time. That makes sense. So how do they start? How does a person start capturing their story? It's such an overwhelming thing to think. First of all, what's my story? Like I mentioned, like there's nothing really to tell. And second of all, how do you take whatever, how many years and put it into a story?
1: Yeah. So everybody has to approach this depending on what you're wanting your book to do. And As I mentioned, you know, most people want it to do something for themselves, but what I find the more powerful motivator, if you really want to get through the process, takes a really long time, is to think about what you want it to do for your reader. So we typically work with people who have been through, you know, something really hard and come out and really conquered it and they are, they have all of this wisdom And they don't really feel like they have anywhere to share it. And if you can write your memoir with a mind toward who you want to help, that really positions you to not only, you know, get through the hard parts of writing, because it can be a slog, particularly, you know, you're in the middle, you're getting toward the end, it can, that can really drag a bit. So that's really helpful. But also I find that externalizing your story and your perspective a bit is so, so helpful to make sure that your story does what you want it to do. And I would even think, you know, some of the examples you mentioned about how have things changed from the 60s, 70s, 80s to now, well, our readers are now, you know? So the more we can think about, well, how is someone today? How are they going to interpret it? What are they going to connect to? What are they, how are they going to see themselves in that story? the better that book is going to be. So that's sort of the philosophical angle that we encourage people to take. Now, when we're talking about the steps to getting that memoir out, um, I do have a free resource that your listeners can grab if they're interested. It is the Memoir Method Checklist. And it is just literally a checklist of every step you need to take from the idea to getting your book out. And the, the big thing that's going to be really helpful as you're planning is that there is a free training. We, we wrap into that. That's how to pick all those stories, organize them, get them into that outline that's going to move you forward.
0: This is great. What a great treat. Okay. How did they find that?
1: So that is at pageandpodium.com slash checklist.
0: Okay, I will also have this in the show notes. I'm writing it down, pageandpodium.com slash checklist. Okay, that's gonna be in the show notes on loveyourstorypodcast.com along with contact information for Amanda. So that's great. That's That's a super place to start. You know, I found in my memoir class that one of the things that was interesting was maybe looking at the places you had lived, right? and then and what came to mind there. and you just start capturing little vignettes of times in your life that you remember things that were meaningful shifts, things that you learned. I'm sure this checklist probably has something to do with this as far as bringing up memories and things as far as places to start. And I have to say also that what you're talking about here is how do we use our personal story to empower others? Like what you're talking about is exactly what we do on the podcast people come on share the experiences they've had whether they're traumatic or whether they are you know like an Olympian you know sharing how they did what they did the purpose of story is like teaching and sharing in fact michael cotter said quote storytelling is where we share what we've discovered all of us have discovered a little secret about life unquote oh, right? and we want to share I that. that
1: i love yes. that yeah and i think especially, you know, those who have been through trauma. And I will say we wrote a memoir for an Olympian a while back and there was Mm -hmm. plenty of trauma wrapped in with the training that they have to do and the discipline that they have to put on themselves. So, you know, I think every, it it sort of depends on how we define trauma or hardship, but all of us have that, you know, and that is really, that is how we learn if we feel safe and comfortable all the time. We don't really get far, you know. Well, and it's how
0: we connect when we share those vulnerable spaces of how bumpy the road actually was. Then we connect with each other, and it's not looking like you know it was perfect because the reality is, is it's not. It's a it's an up and down. It's a lot of little steps to create something big. It's making it through the hard times so that you come out stronger on the other side with understanding things you didn't understand before and sharing that path. So yes, we're doing the same work, sister.
1: We are. I love it. Well, and I wanted to, I mean, this is a great segue too into the third sort of audience or third purpose that I find people come across as they're working on their memoir. We always think of self and other, but the thing I find a lot of people don't realize is even though it's your story... The process of breaking it down into a structure, reflecting on those scenes, mm. reliving what you went through, the, you know, the sights, the smells, the touch, that is such a therapeutic experience. I was going to say, totally
0: therapeutic.
1: <laughs> it is. And it sneaks up on people sometimes because not only do you get so much clearer on kind of what you've experienced and, and we get this opportunity to relive and learn new things as well, mm-hmm. it makes it so that we are not only clear on our message or on our story, we are also clear on our message so that what we're taking away really can change because in the process of writing your memoir, you're sitting with those memories for, for hours and hours and hours in a way that you know we're not ever going to do that on our own if we don't have that writing structure to guide us through it.
0: Amanda, so true. And one of the things, you know, we can point out two things. When you have to sit like that with, say, traumatic experiences or things you don't necessarily want to relive, that can be a real trial. And it can also stop somebody from wanting to do it. It's, you know, things they don't want to go back and face. So there is that. I'll have you comment on that. But then also, I have found that when I write something out, oftentimes I don't know what I think about it, which seems weird. But as I write it out, like stream of consciousness to get something down on paper, there's a clarity that comes from it that like you say, you you just don't get unless you sit with it and you write it out. And then stuff comes out and you can actually sort when you said therapeutic, I think that's a key word because it's therapy to sit through what do I think about it? What do I want to keep? How do I want to tell that story? Because sometimes the story and this is what we always talk about here, but you reframe a story like so you can see it in a way that supports you rather than in a space of victimhood. And you can do that as you're creating your story. So talk to me exactly. about how do people work through or face or jump into a memoir when they don't really want to face what was there?
1: Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I was thinking of a actually a really, really recent story for us. And one of the things I love so much about my job and what all of my team gets to do when we one-on-one coach folks through their memoir, we give feedback every single week on what they're writing. And just recently, I was working with a woman. Her story is amazing. She grew up, her mother was an alcoholic. She then, when she got to teenage years, she started drinking and became an an alcoholic. And now she works with people to think about sobriety as something you can do in moderation um, through loving yourself. So, Shout out to Maggie Jensen. Go look her up. Her story is amazing. But one thing that was happening as we were working through some of the early parts of her story is she was having to pick apart the way she'd heard aspects of her story from her mother during the height of her mother's illness, versus as she was looking back now as a very successful life coach and fitness coach and, you know, someone with a lot more years under her belt. And one of the things, you know, her mother would say, You know, oh, we have to sneak around your grandpa because your grandpa's going to ruin the party and your grandpa's going to, he's so strict and he's so mean. And as we were working through writing these parts of her story, she kind of had this flash moment where she said, My grandpa was doing totally reasonable things. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like my grandpa was interrupting really toxic behaviors that you know, my, my mother was doing and just really trying to get, his granddaughter on track in the best way that he knew how. And of course, you know, none of us.
0: That's big to realize that, you know, that's what a win, what a takeaway. I think all the point you're making too is as you go through and reevaluate, that's what you're doing really, you know, looking closely at life experiences. Not only are you working through things potentially, but you're also potentially seeing things you haven't seen before. And what a gift, right? Like everybody has to do this just just because of all the things that could come from it.
1: Yes, exactly. And it to me, we always advocate that as you're working on your memoir, you have either a therapist or if you're not you know you're not into that space, maybe you have a different type of support system, but that you have someone to fall back on mm. that you can really talk to about some of this stuff because it can be really profound in those moments where you make those discoveries and you have to really grapple with, how am I going to tell this? Do I tell this from how I experienced it then? Do I reflect and talk about what I've learned now? And that stuff can be really, really challenging. So we always do recommend that people have a a good support system in place.
0: I love that. I think that's wise. Tell me about what if something pops up in your life that is like we talk about reframing and one of those steps is accepting that the bad things that happened to you actually happened and then being getting to a place where you can actually retell that. And I don't think you have to put everything in. Like we could, let's just talk about this. Like what if you have a really, a part of your story that feels shameful to you that you don't want to, or that you're, let's just say you're extremely uncomfortable with. Like you don't know that you want that in your book. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, this is really, really common. So we we published in October an excellent book by Victor James Hill called The Ignorant Man's Son. And his story is that he grew up in the projects in Pontiac, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. And as he was growing up, it was a beautiful community. But in the 1980s, drug dealers start coming in. This happens all across the nation. And what he started to see was all of these issues in his community with kids getting sucked into, you know, this terrible lifestyle and where they were getting addicted to crack cocaine, which, of course, can ruin your life. And eventually his sister got hooked on crack cocaine. And a big part of his story really is helping uplift his community. He made several summer programs for the children in his community so that they would have breakfasts and lunches when, the, when school wasn't in session. But as part of that story, we really also had to dig into his family. Because of course, Mm -hmm. as you are working with people in your community, if you are seeing your sister go through the same things that you're seeing on the streets, that is so hard. And he really had to sit down with his sister and have a heart to heart with her and say, this is what I want to share of our shared story. But of course... It's her story as well. Right. And what are you comfortable with me sharing? And I know they had, they had multiple conversations. And in the end, he shared with me that he said, "You know, Shelly, this is an opportunity for you to use your hurt to help other people. And fortunately, she in the end was able to get off of drugs, heal herself. And now she has several beautiful grandbabies that she is helping raise. Which is amazing, a second chance for her, after, you know, she got sucked into this really um, really rough world as a younger woman. And I think as we're all grappling with what we're comfortable sharing, it really has to come down to what you said to me actually, before we even got on the recording, which is, the parts that people are going to connect with are those real, emotional, difficult things that we have gone through. Those are the things that really, you know, we read those and we say, oh oh my gosh, what would that be like? How would I go through that? How would I make sure that I got back on my feet or would I? So yes, we don't want to put everything into our book, but I do really encourage people to think about what is going to connect with your reader and what is really going to show them who you are I think the more we follow that impulse to cover over these really vulnerable things and, you know, only show the good stuff or, you know, I, my life has been great and look at all I've overcome and it's great. Really what people want to hear from, from us about is our vulnerabilities and the places where the realness, we really
0: struggle. Right. Okay. Exactly. And you bring up a really good point here. The The first one is my original question was leaning toward What about our personal stories, the the parts that we don't want to tell about what we did? But then you bring up this really great point about our stories are not singular. They are interactive with lots of people. And so then there's this nervousness about how do I tell, you know, even when I'm writing my dad's history, like, do I what do I say about his siblings and whatnot, because they all have their perspectives or even about his parents, right? Like the siblings are all gonna have different perspectives of it. And there's so much ground to figure out how to navigate. And we talked about this in my memoir class also. And we came down to two things. One was ultimately you're the one telling the story. So you're gonna tell it from your perspective and you have the right to do that. And the other was that if you... You just have to like him talking to his sister, having to sit down saying, this is what's here. This is the way I see it. This is what I'm sharing. And having those conversations ahead of time, getting permission about the things you're going to share is an important thing. Although ultimately you get to tell your story however you want to. So yeah, there's ground there to navigate. It's not not as easy as my thing, but you know, that's where your skill comes in and helping people navigate what's the places that feel treacherous.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Well, and a humorous anecdote um, related to that, when we were writing Walter Deccan's story, and I mentioned him earlier, he passed between the writing of the book and the publishing of the book, but we talked actually to all of his children and there was such a funny part where his children all insisted on different origin stories of this uh, merry-go-round and some of them said, oh, he built it out of scrap metal. And some of them said, oh, no, no, it was gifted. And some of them said, well, no, he went and bought it. And what it came down to is exactly what you said, is we had to just communicate to the children. What we're going to go with is what your dad said. <laughs> but some of them, story, yeah, it's his story. It's his book. Some of them maintained, probably still, that no, no, <laughs> he does not remember it right. But yeah, it's our story to tell.
0: So... I am told that you like to talk about the science of storytelling and how we can make our stories land every time. Talk to me about that. What's your angle?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, as part of my work as a social movement historian, the area that I focused on within that umbrella was audiences. So as social movement leaders and actually social movement participants at every level are communicating what they're trying to do with the movement, there's an element of really being very intuitive about who you're talking to, whether they really want to help you or not, and if they do, how do you make sure that the way you're telling your story, the way that you're talking about the wrong, the injustice you want to write, is going to land with that other person? So one of the things I mean the simplest way to think about this really, is that we know from research that all of us interpret every story we hear. Through the lens of our own identity and experiences, we've seen that with television, we've seen that with radio, we see that with speeches, sure. um, the, the cultural
0: so- eye, all those all those lenses you have in front of you that have to do with gender, religion, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, you know which side of the tracks you live on, all the things. That's the lens you look through. So every person is interpreting every event differently.
1: That's exactly right. And it can be really hard to think about that. You can, we can really go down a rabbit hole with that to where we feel paralyzed. Because yes, every individual person, we all have our own stuff. But we can also think kind of collectively in terms of what are the smaller cultures within our larger world and who do we want to reach out to and how. So, you know, for example, in the summer of 2020, in, in the book and in the time period, what we saw was a lot of middle class white women really understanding what black lives matter was saying for the first time so folks who had been you know either kind of ambivalent or against black lives matter in 2014 2015 2016 really started to turn in 2020 and one of the main reasons for that i think you know, it was pretty obvious when we were living it, which was when George Floyd was being murdered, he was calling out for his mother. And so many women heard themselves there. So many women thought, oh my gosh, that's that's someone's son. That could be my son. And that is a powerful, powerful lens that, that Black Lives Matter, the movement as a whole, and a lot of local groups under that umbrella Leveraged in really effective ways to get more people out to make uh, you know larger displays in the streets, which is pressure for politicians to make changes and that kind of thing. so I think to your you know to your point to your question about how do we make sure our stories land, it is so, so key to make sure we are thinking about who we want our story to land
0: with mm. absolutely, so I know that you primarily work with leaders who want to share and publish their stories to support their teams and their career that type of thing. But what advice do you have for just regular folks who are considering considering writing their personal stories like we've been talking about? Do you have a space for them and you know, what would you say to them?
1: I do. Well, one thing that that is really important to me is that when I and when my company uses the term leader, we really want people to self-identify into that group. I believe everyone is a leader. Mm-hmm. So, you've got to think about where it is that your voice matters and where you want to amplify that voice. So, for some of our clients, as you said, you know, it's within their team or, you know, they're coaching and they're wanting to help people that are kind of in their target market. But for a lot of the folks we work with, their leadership is in their community or their leadership is in their family unit or we work with political leaders as well or sports leaders. So where is it that you wanna make an impact? Because by telling your story, you can really step into a leadership role even if you haven't seen yourself that way before.
0: So how do they sell these books once they write them? Like, do you help them do that? Do you publish 500 of them? Or like, what does that look like?
1: So we work with people with every publishing goal. So we can help people to self-publish and that's often the case you know, for folks who are working as coaches or consultants. We also have our own imprint so you can publish through Page and Podium if you'd like. And then we also work with people who want to go for a traditional book deal and work with a larger publisher. Whichever route you want to go, we have services that are tailored to that. As far as the marketing and the publicity support, we do always want to make sure that authors know no book sells without the author. So I find a lot of times with memoir, you know, folks, they want to write their story and they want to get it out. They feel really confident it could help people. But when it comes to telling others that this book is available, that feels really almost a bridge too far. Is self-promotion sort of made meta, right? Right, <laughs> so yeah. Oh, I promoting understand. your story and yourself <laughs> and oh, it gets so uncomfortable. That is part of the growth journey. So when we work with people, we coach them through what does that mean for you? Does it mean coming on podcasts like this one? Does it mean pitching yourself to you know, local media? Does it mean that you want to amp up or start a speaking career? Or does it mean that you want to, as with um, Walter Deccan's family, do you want to drop copies of that book at the different historical societies that kind of represent those places that you grew up? Or you know, do you want, as with Victor James Hill, do you want to aim for getting your book into prisons and in the hands of people who are transitioning out of prison and back into their communities?
0: So, what if you just want to give it to your family? Like, what if you're you're doing a family memoir and you know you just want a dozen copies?
1: Do you? Yeah, absolutely. So, in that case, I would suggest that you go the print-on-demand route, which is so so easy nowadays. You know, it used to be you would have to track down a, a printer, which we do have an offset and digital printing company that we work with, but. If it's such a small order, you know, doesn't even maybe 50, I would just recommend using the Amazon, using KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. And that is really pretty easy to navigate. We do have coaching support services, so we can help people do that. But it is much, much more accessible, certainly, than even, you know, 10 or 15 years ago to get your book out that way.
0: Your services sound wonderful and your experience is just key to help people. You know, it's it's the guide. You're the guide. You're helping the person figure out how to do this and how to tell this, which is a really big deal when you're figuring out your story. So if somebody wanted to work with you, how would they find you?
1: So they can head over to our website, pageandpodium.com. And all of our services are by application. And that is just because we really want to make sure that everyone that's coming into our world isn't an excellent fit for us that they are going to get the most out of our services. So if you head to pageandpodium.com, you can read about our coaching services as well as our done-for-you writing services. We have both of those at two different tiers depending on how much support you're wanting and you know what your budget, what your time budget is and then you can apply right on that, the website. You'll see the apply now button. We're just gonna ask a few questions about your story and your purpose, what you're hoping to get out of it. And then that starts a conversation with, uh, with our team.
0: Okay, so we've talked about a lot of story things here, but I am still open to any last points that you wanna make. What haven't we talked about that you think is important?
1: Well, one thing I wanna share is I find a lot of people whether they are at the very top of you know, their field or you know whether they kind of just think of themselves as an average, ordinary person, which I find that most people do, mm-hmm. that there is something that creeps in for all of us where it is hard for us to see the expertise that we have. Mm. And I call that the curse of expertise. And often it just, we are living our own expertise. So we don't see it like a fish in water, right? They don't know they're in the water.
0: (laughs) Well, you know what? You're absolutely right because it's like someone who knows how to sing and they're like, oh, it's no big deal. Well, yeah, it is a big deal because I don't know how to sing. And when I try to sing, it doesn't sound anything like that. (laughs) Um, So I know like how incredible that singing voice is. You take it for granted because you've always had it kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anything we do well, seems it came natural to us, you know, or we worked on it It's something that we've habitually built or was a natural gift. And so it doesn't seem like a big deal, but for somebody who doesn't have it,
1: huge. Exactly. So I have an exercise that I hope every single one of your listeners will do because it is such a great boost. And that is, uh, I call it phone a friend. Think about your biggest cheerleader, your biggest fan in your life, and send them a text or an email and say, what is the most interesting thing you've ever learned from me? And Mm. 99% of the time, you will be shocked at what they say. And then the more you think about it, you'll realize, of course. (laughs) So... When we do that, then I think that helps give us that outside perspective to think about what is it that our contribution really needs to be to this world? What is the what is the wisdom that only we can leave for others? So whether or not folks want to work with us, whether or not folks want to write their book, I really truly believe that we will have a better world if we can all step into our power in that way. And the only way we do that is when we are relational. We reach out to our connections and just really make sure that we are bringing the best of ourselves to every interaction.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I want to say that I have found being the host of this show... How many people come, like the good, good hearts out there. People go through hard things and then naturally they turn to, how do I use this to create something good? And one of the huge functions of stories, like we've talked about, is teaching. And that might be sharing awe. It might be sharing a lesson. It might be sharing a warning. You know, there's a lot of functions that story plays. But we as humans, one of the greatest, most effective ways of communication maybe the most effective, is story because our minds can relate. We remember them. They are just powerful. And it's fascinating to me how many people want to share their stories to do good in the world. I don't know if that's just something that comes pre-programmed with people or if it's something good souls navigate toward or, you know, I, I don't know, but it's been fascinating to watch.
1: Yep. That's, that is my experience too, is that the folks that come to me that want to work with me and my team, almost always what's motivating them is to help other people.
0: I love it. Amanda, thanks for being here. Okay, people, as this comes to a close, consider your stories. Everybody has a story. We all have a hero's journey. So don't don't be telling yourself that you don't have anything worth saying. But as you consider sharing your story or, or organizing your life, recording your stories, maybe even publishing them like we've talked about, please reach out to Amanda if you're interested in her help in doing this. And if not, hey, just keep enjoying the stories on the Love Your Story podcast. We will see you in two weeks for our quick chat episode. And I ask that you share this episode with someone who might be thinking about writing or sharing their story and hop on loveyourstorypodcast.com to leave a voicemail about topics that you want to hear about in the coming year. Thanks for being here. Your story matters. Live it with intention.